And for those that are remaining in the auditorium and watching online, please take your Bibles once again and turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Romans, chapter 9. We're going to be looking, Lord willing, this morning at verses 30 through chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 9, 30 through chapter 10, verse 4. Paul has spent the bulk of the letter up until the beginning of chapter 9, showing to his audience, primarily Gentile, but also with a, the influence of a Jewish Christian audience, that the only way of salvation is through God's grace and God's grace alone. Two individuals born under the law and who had been spending their lives up to that point and beyond trying to keep it in order to attain and maintain a relationship with God through it, this message should have been a message of liberation. And yet Paul knows his audience, he being Jewish himself, and anticipates some of their arguments and pushback, and has spent then the bulk of his writing to them, trying to show them again that it's all about grace through faith. There remains a question though, and so chapters 9, 10, and 11 are not an excursus, they're not a parenthesis, this flows with his line of thinking. If the nation of Israel was privileged to have the patriarchs and the promises and the covenant and the law and the worship and the glory and the presence of God and all of these things, why then have so many of them not attained a relationship with him? Why are so many not in relationship with him? And now, post the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah for everyone, but the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, the righteous, why do so few Jews believe in him? Paul, as I'm looking around, I'm loving these promises. I mean, you, you can't end off on a better note than the end of chapter 8, as we have it in our Bibles. And yet, I don't want to be skeptical, but it appears that maybe God's Word isn't as amazing, Paul, as you say that it is. It appears that perhaps God's Word has failed because there are so many who do not believe. So many who used to be, and still are in some ways, at least ethnically, privileged by God. To bring that then into our context here this morning, the question that I have this morning from the text is, why is it that so many individuals that have grown up in church have been loved by, supported by those who love God, have heard the truth, have had the truth modeled for them, have had the privilege of having Scripture in their home and in their church and even in their school, that have had individuals that have prayed for them and are praying for them, that believe the truth, believed the truth, and still do, out of all these advantages, are now walking away from truth. There is a term that has been coined over the last few years, ex-evangelical. An individual who was an evangelical, grew up in church of numerous different denominations, and yet now not only have walked away from church, have walked away from God, and are not just walking away quietly, but are taking time and effort on social media and other platforms to openly mock the Christianity they once embraced. We call these deconstruction stories. 
We have even one of John Piper's sons, or John Piper's son, Abraham Piper, and others, uh, YouTube influencers like Rhett and Link, others that have come out with these deconstruction stories and are now abandoning the faith that they once had. And our question is, even as we just on Friday evening had graduation exercises once again for Grace Christian School, as we look over the years, there are students that were a part of things here that have walked away from the faith. And the question is why? With all of the truth that was presented and lived out and modeled, with all of the love that was shared and given, why is it that individuals are walking away? The fastest growing demographic in Canada are the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. They are those that on a census, when asked religious affiliation, they would check off none. It is now more than, slightly more than one quarter of all Canadians would say they have no religious affiliation. And of that group, there's a subgroup within that group called the Duns, D-O-N-E-S, who used to be a part of Christianity, who used to embrace Christ, who no longer do and are saying, I've been there, done that, I'm done with church and with Christ. Or they may be done with church organized religion. They would say, I'm spiritual. I have some kind of a relationship with God, but they've recast God in their own image and remade Jesus to look an awful lot like them and their politics. So the question is, why? Why is this happening at Paul's time, and why is it happening in our day still today? Why does it look like, despite all the promises of God, all of the privileges afforded to individuals that have been around God and those in relationship with God, that there are individuals who no longer are walking with God and have a relationship with Him? And the key is what we have entitled the sermon this morning, Faith. The key is faith. You can have intellect, and you can have talents and gifts and ability, good looks and money and resources. You can have the privileges of parents and grandparents and a legacy of faith. You can have the honor to be surrounded by truth and to be surrounded by the love and support of God and His people. And yet what is the vital thing, what is the necessary thing is faith. And this is what Paul wants to unpack for us. He has certainly shared with us thus far in chapter 9 the the reality and the truth that mercy and grace are from God. God is in control of all things. God is sovereign over all things. And all things happen according to God's decrees. And yet Paul now turns his attention, so to speak, from God's sovereignty, if we can even put it that way, to human responsibility and say, so on a human level, what is the issue? And the issue is a lack of faith. We are going to see, hopefully for the rest of our time together this morning, there are only two options. Either we submit to God in humility, recognizing that we do not have all the answers, despite how amazing we are, We do not even know all of the questions that we cannot by our intellect and our talents and gifts and our hard work and perseverance and resilience save ourselves and we know that there is saving that needs to be done. We are our greatest issue. Sin is our greatest problem and we cannot solve it on our own. We are in desperate need of a savior and there is one, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Either that or... I am God, 
I know best. I see things the way they ought to be. I understand everything that needs to be understood. I have the brains and the evolution and the new ideologies and the things at my disposal and the talents and the gifts and the grit and the hard work and the light within and all of these kinds of things and I will then go my way. There are only two options. And again, I'm not coming at this this morning from a place of detached indifference. My heart bleeds for those, as Paul did for his fellow Jews, for those that have abandoned Christianity. Far too often, I believe, they have abandoned what they think Christianity is and not actual Christianity. But follow along then, if you would, as I read our passage then this morning, Romans 9, starting read of verse 30 and going down through chapter 10, verse 4. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, his fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of God. And so in 930-33, Paul is going to outline for us that faith is vital. Faith is vital. That is the key thing in all of this, and the key that answers the question, why is it that so many individuals who were surrounded by, immersed in truth and love, have abandoned it for something lesser? And so he asks the question then in verse 30, as he reviews the situation in verses 30 and 31, what shall we say then? Based on what he said in 9, 1 to 29, what do we respond to this with? How do we see this? How do we wrestle with this? What is is the situation? He provides this contrast. The Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness, certainly not a righteousness to the glory of God. That is not to say that Paul believes that Gentiles never did anything good, although some Jews would believe that. But Paul's not saying that there weren't moral Gentiles. He's simply saying that Gentiles were not pursuing God's glory, but were pursuing their own glory. They were not submissive to the law of God. They did not follow the dietary restrictions and the other numerous restrictions, the Sabbath laws, and they did not celebrate the feast. They did not do any of this. And yet, somehow, they have attained righteousness. They have been granted God's righteousness and relationship with Him. They found something, Paul says, that they weren't even working for. And yet, conversely, Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. They believed, and many still believe, 
that they by the keeping of the law would attain righteousness. The same righteousness that the Gentiles have, but they have it by faith. The Jews were looking to attain it by law, and yet they did not succeed in reaching that law. What Jew can say with honesty, I have always kept all of the law. Now some have tried, one even met Jesus himself and said, I have kept all the commandments from the time I was young up until now. And yet we know that that is not true. And so this righteousness that we are looking for, that brings with it peace, compassion, actual tolerance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, truth, holiness, righteousness, actual love. This that we are striving for, that we are writing books about and doing podcasts and writing blogs about and uh, activists are protesting for and all of these things that we are striving for. Paul says the Gentiles have it and the Jews don't. And the Jews wanted it. And in some cases we could say the Gentiles weren't even working for it. What is the difference then? And why does that not seem to make sense? The difference is faith. Because in the second place in 32a, he says, this is the difference that faith makes. This is one of the shortest sentences in this passage. Quite literally in the Greek, it says, because not by faith, but by works. There's like six words in the Greek. There's more added in the English for us to understand this, but Paul's trying to make a point by his simplicity. Here's the key. Here's the difference. Here's the reality. Faith. An individual who's attempting to earn their relationship with God is not going to get it. But an individual who realizes that they can't earn a relationship with God and simply trusts God for that relationship will. And thus the paradox of faith and the reality of faith. Paul says, how is it that those that were trying so hard to attain it don't get it and those that were not working for it receive it because of faith? So why is it then that there are some individuals of all ages who are still connected to the body of Christ, love Christ, the actual Christ, not the one that they've remade in their own image, who are committed to God, submissive to God and his word, and desire after his righteousness, and there are some who do not. And Paul would say, faith. Faith is the difference. Faith is the reality that is either present or absent. And if it's present, we see the righteousness of God in relationship with God. If it is absent, we do not. But before he leaves this section, he wants to remind us that faith is not some abstract concept. Faith is in a person. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, he says, referencing and sort of uh, putting together two passages from Isaiah, one in 8 and one twenty-eight. I am laying a stone in Zion of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the one in whom we are to have faith. Now again, people do a lot of things with Jesus. They make Jesus to be a guru or a hippie or a revolutionary. 
Almost every group on the planet claims Jesus as their own. They grab a single saying of Jesus or a single interaction of Jesus, pull it out of context, remake Jesus to be more like them, and then they say, see, Jesus is with us. But Jesus will not allow them to do that if we are honest because Jesus has, has shown us who he is. God has revealed who he is, and he does not look all that much like us. Oftentimes we say, God told me so, and it just sounds like our voice in a lower octave. It is not then that we worship a God of our own making. That is idolatry. We worship and submit to the God of the universe who has revealed who he actually is. And far too often I see individuals, again, who will take a piece of Jesus and say, see, this is what Jesus is all about, and leave off a whole other piece of who Jesus is. You have to deal with, if I can put it that way, then Jesus. And to all of those who are here this morning or are watching online, who are fed up with hypocrisy, who are fed up with politics, especially religious politics, someone has once quipped, there's nothing dirtier than politics, and religious politics is even dirtier. For those who are fed up with all of the sins of people who supposedly are followers of God, for those who are fed up with all of this, The reality is Jesus is the perfection that you are looking for. Jesus was never hypocritical. Jesus is love. He is the embodiment of the justice that you seek. He is God and very God in human flesh. Have people disappointed you? Yes. Have you disappointed people? Absolutely. But there is one who will never disappoint, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. Not as you are trying to remake him to be in your image, but who he actually is. So faith, faith is vital. And then we see in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, as Paul continues this thought, that faith is a gift from God. It doesn't necessarily say that perhaps in this specific passage, we've read Ephesians 2 during the liturgy. But I want us to see, I wasn't sure how else to put this main point, because I want us to see the issue is not intellect, gifts, talents, hard work, that the issue is faith. And the answer to the question, why me and not this person, or why this person and not me, comes down to what are you, or I should say, who are you believing in and trusting in? And once again, you notice that Paul reiterates his desire for Israel in verse 1. He is not intellectually detached or academically indifferent. There's no coldness in the heart of Paul. He smears what he said in 9.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, my fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. Paul's not trying to win a debate. Paul doesn't have a YouTube channel where the tagline is clickbait, Paul crushes the Jews, or Paul totally rocks this debate and crushes the leftists or the rights or whatever. This is not a political thing for Paul. This is not about scoring points or winning arguments. Paul knows that these individuals, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, are destined for hell as he was before Christ met him, and so he loves them, actually loves them. It is not about a notch in his belt, a feather in his cap. It is not about likes on social media or comments. He actually cares about people, and his his heart beats for his fellow Jews. Now, he has three sentences, all starting with the same Greek word in verse 2, 3, and 4. And so he's trying to lay out some points here for us as we close. First of all, Israel has zeal, but they lack faith. Notice what he says. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
If you were to look up zeal in the dictionary, you could probably find a picture of the Apostle Paul. If you did a character assessment of Paul, he had zeal and he had it in spades. This was an individual who held people's coats and and sort of outer garments as they picked up large rocks to throw at Stephen and kill him for his faith in Jesus Christ. This was an individual that went to the authorities, the religious leaders on his own, and asked for letters that give him authority to imprison Christians, followers of the way, wherever he found them. If you want a cheerleader, if you want a champion, if you want somebody who's going to gravitate and take your cause to the next level, Apostle Paul's the one whose resume you want to be looking at. He had zeal. But what was he lacking? What he was lacking was faith. His knowledge was his own. My righteousness, my way of doing things, my way of thinking, myself, and not submission to God. And so Jesus himself meets Paul and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul submits to the thrice holy God in that moment and is radically transformed and changed. And now uses his zeal, which zeal in and of itself is not necessarily a problem, but he now uses that same zeal for the cause of actual truth and not the truths that he believed before. This is what he says. If you today were to get on a plane, once that was allowed or able to take place, and you flew to the nation of Israel, and you walked into the city of Jerusalem, you would see the Western Wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall, part of the foundation that Herod the Great built on that temple mount, all that remains of the temple from the time of Jesus. And you would see in the cracks between those stones written prayers. You would see individuals praying at that wall. If you want zeal, you'd be hard-pressed to find people more zealous for what they believe in than Jews today. And yet Paul says, but their zeal is without knowledge. It's not connected to the reality that they need to humble themselves and repent and have faith in Jesus Christ. Similarly, the zeal that some young people have to start these YouTube channels and podcasts and social media and say and try to destroy Christianity, the zeal they have to mock Christianity seems to be to be overmatch the zeal that they used to have for Christianity. And yet, what is all that zeal directed towards? It's directed towards that which is against God, against humility, against faith in Him, and not for it. And Paul also says, zeal's not the issue. The issue is that the knowledge they have is incorrect. They do not have faith. Verse 3, Israel has misplaced faith then. Where ultimately is their faith in? Who are they actually believing in? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Ultimately, as we have said, there are two options on the table that are open to us. Either we submit to God and to him alone and in humility repent of our sin and beg him for his mercy and grace or in our pride we establish ourselves as God and therefore follow truly ourselves and try to construct our own righteousness. It is either humility or pride. It is either submission or it is resistance and rebellion. It is either faith or it is a lack thereof. It is saying, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, I'm talented enough, I'm pretty enough, I have enough, I know best. And Paul says, please understand, you don't. He's been sharing this throughout this whole letter and now shares it with us here again. 
establishing your own righteousness is impossible. You don't have any. And so when you stand before the one who breathed you into existence, when you give account one day to your creator, you will either stand there in his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteous, applied to your behalf because of his mercy and grace, or you will stand in your own because you have none, you will be spending eternity in hell. This is not an easy message to preach, but it is a truth that we need to hear. Notice then the last place. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. True faith then is in the person of Jesus Christ. As we noted that faith is in a person, not, and I don't misread that, it's not faith is in a person like we have a light within. Faith is in a person, Jesus Christ, and we come back to that again, where true faith is in Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law, whether that's the goal of the law or Christ ends the law because of his fulfillment of it. Either could be applied here, the reality is Jesus Christ ends the need for, or I should say Christ's righteousness shows our lack of it and the impossibility of us attaining it by the law. Christ fulfilled the law, nailed the law to the cross, rose again to life from the dead, thereby conquering sin and death for us. And it is only through him that we can have righteousness. So anyone that is trusting in their own righteousness is a fool because we do not have any Christ must be righteous for us on our behalf. And this is offered then to everyone who believes. Similarly, what he says in 9.33, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The issue then that we have before us this morning is this. There is truth. God is truth. Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life God's word is truth, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. And so we can either accept that, submit to it, in humility understand that we don't have it all together, we don't have all the answers, we don't know the, the real from the fake, we don't know the true from the false, we need help, we know who we are, and we know that we are sinners And so we come in faith, and like the tax collector that Jesus talks about, we simply say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is one option open to us, and my prayer for you this morning is that is the option you have taken. The other option is, in pride, we say, I know better. I know better than God. I know better than Jesus. I know better than God's word. I know better than almost 2,000 years of Christian history scattered with individuals, male and female, who are far more intelligent than any of us ever will be in this room or watching online, who have written extensively, who have walked through the same questions that you're asking and the same problems that you're facing and have come up with answers that are deeply satisfying because they are true in God. But I know better than them. And at age 20 or 25. I figured it all out. In my pride, I know what I'm doing. I know what the truth is. Christianity is a sham. Christians are hypocrites. I will make my own way. I will figure it out on my own. And I have enough talent and looks and money and resources and grit and determination, and I will get there. Those are the two options. Either God is God or you're God. And the reality is you're not God. And one day you will realize that. My prayer is that you will realize that today. Humility, faith, this is vital. Let us look to the Lord in prayer this morning.
Father, we thank you for your word. It alone is true. And Father, we grieve that so many are abandoning the truth, the faith of their fathers and grandfathers, the faith of their mothers and grandmothers. And not only are they abandoning it, they are putting it to open ridicule, mocking it and attempting to bring shame on those who would still believe in something so ridiculous. And yet, Father, this this pride, this insidious hubris that deifies mankind is so reprehensible and so far removed from the truth, so far removed from faith and humility. So, Father, as the Apostle Paul grieved for his fellow Israelites, we grieve this morning for those that have had so many privileges afforded to them, have seen the truth, have heard the truth, have even for a time walked in the truth, and yet have now abandoned the truth. Father, may we reach out to these individuals, pray for them. People are not enemies to be crushed. And people's ideas that differ from our own are not arguments to win or disgusting entities to be crushed and destroyed. People are made in your image, Father. They are to be loved and respected. And I pray that we would speak your love and your truth, that we would walk in it, that we would be encouraged in it, Father, we would pray, pray perhaps as we never have before, that you would do the work that only you can, to change hearts and lives, to give the gift of faith to those who do not have it. And perhaps, Father, in some ways, those who we believe should have it based on their history. Father, help us. Help us to pray, help us to love, and help us to stand firm on the truth not for political gain, not because we believe that we somehow are winners and others are losers, not for anything of ourselves, but all to your glory, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.